Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast, I'll be having inspiring conversations with passionate product people. If you feel like getting in on the fun, why not hop over to onenightinproduct.com and sign up to the mailing list or find us on the podcast app of your choice, LinkedIn, Twitter, or all the usual places. Subscribe and never miss an episode. On tonight's episode, we'll cover the old debate about whether a product owner should be a job title or just a role within a scrum team, how being a product analyst is a great way to get into product and helps you be a better PM, some of the challenges staying motivated when you're working as a consultant and don't get to see everything through till the end, how to use design sprints to get to the heart of the matter and work out how to find the time to do it. We'll also find out just how many products have been cancelled just after our guests had finished working on them. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So my guest tonight is Yoav Farby, budding artist, former falafel salesman turned magazine founder and now design thinker and product management specialist. A keen gardener based near Amsterdam, which definitely doesn't have any connotations, he's turned his horticultural skills towards growing strong, effective product teams. Currently working as a senior product manager at Parknell. Hi, Yoav, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, Jason. How are you? I am doing fantastically well. So first things first, for the uninitiated, who are Parknell and what problem do they solve? Sure. So Parknell is a global brand that holds a couple of apps that help drivers park. So in the UK, Ringo is part of our brand. In the Netherlands, is Park Mobile, And in Germany and other European countries, is Parknow. All these apps do very similar things of helping drivers find a parking destination and also fulfill a digital parking payment. So you don't need to go to the meter. You, you find a parking space with us and pay within the app. So we, we do an end-to-end parking solution in our apps. And do you work across all of those markets that you just mentioned, or are you very much focused on, say, the Netherlands? So how the product team works is you focus on a feature or you, you focus on a group of features within the app. And the same applies to my role. I focus on a feature called Find and Park, which helps the finding of the parking space. And again, that feature, I look at it across the different markets. So the UK, Netherlands, and Germany are our main markets. That's my focus for now. And other smaller markets will come soon. I'll keep my eye out for when I <laughs> take my car to Moldova. Nice. <laughs> so so you're working just specifically on that area. And is that a big team that you've got working with you there or relatively small and tight? Uh, how does that work? So the product team, like the thing that was attractive, attracting me to Park Now, and I recently I joined the a couple months ago in November. Something that attracted me was the fact that they had a really big product team. It's something that I've not done worked out before, uh, and that was a really big plus uh, when I was applying. But how the team is split up is each product manager has their own initiative and feature that they or group of features that they look after. So at the same time of being as a big product team. I sometimes feel a little bit alone, but then I have the scrum team that I work with, with a product owner, and and they that single scrum team supports the feature, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So you say you have a product owner as well. So does, does that imply then that you're really there to lead the, the strategy and the future vision and you've got a product owner separately to you that's managing the day-to-day delivery, or, or is it not quite that straightforward? No, you've nailed it. Yeah. So that yes. was really nice. <laughs> you, you know the difference. <laughs> yeah. So 
it depends on market. Like I've worked in the UK and I've worked in the Netherlands, and I think it depends on the market that you're into, how the differentiation between product owner and product manager is in general. But here at Park Now, it, it's pretty clear that the product owner looks at the day to day with the Scrum team, and the product manager looks at the broader sense, thinking about strategy, connecting with other parts of the business. Like my responsibilities are to think quite far ahead, so half a year to a year ahead. Whilst the product owner is responsible for the next quarter, next month, much shorter term, and very much focusing on the day to day. So far, so so good. Like we've got a good relationship going, and we check that we're not trading on each other's toes because it's always, yeah. As I said, I'm new, and obviously with different companies, the roles are slightly different. So there's always important to to have that check in between your colleagues. So that's interesting, though, because there's some low level of controversy at the moment around the use of product owner as an official job title within a product team and kind of almost having that person positioned almost as a as a junior product manager. So that product owner in your team, is that their specific role and that's their job title? Or are they playing that more as a sort of a scrum product owner, but they've actually got an, uh, an official different title? So I think part now have it well set up that that differentiation, I think in previous jobs, I've seen that controversy happen where people or like my team was the product owner in, in my previous job, my, my team was a product owner team, but we were doing product management as well as product ownership. And at Park now that, that role is, is pretty clearly set. And, um, I would say that it's, They've done like the product department have done well in in that sense. Cool. Well, sounds like you've got a good rhythm going. Yeah, it's nice. But before all of this, you went to university in the UK. Yes, you were studying computer science. Correct. And you were doing loads of really cool sounding stuff with supercomputers and computer vision and all these other things that sound far too complicated for me to get my head around. But after that, you jumped straight into foundership and product management for. Uh, your own startup mm-hmm. so you didn't give the technical stuff a chance so what made you jump straight into that area as much as yeah i think the much as i uh i found it very interesting and i like enjoyed my studies looking at different things in computer science i like i judge myself as not very good at it or like <laughs> i don't know like how to take it from study to to professional programmer there's obviously a step that that wasn't something that I felt that was that was strong for me, and I focused when when I was like obviously getting close to graduation, being like, "What am I going to do now that I graduate?" At Bristol Uni, there was quite some strong uh, communities around help, like within the university and and close to the university, like in Bristol City to help entrepreneurs start off and to help have a good connection between the tech department and businesses nearby. So if you did want to try the entrepreneurial path, you could. And a friend of mine and I from university, he was he was already very much involved in in the entrepreneurial, I guess the entrepreneurial department there. And together we decided, hey, why don't we try a startup straight out of uni? Yeah. Uh, and that that was kind of the first job that that I tried out, uh, and it was really <laughs> like a, a create like a, a a wild experience of kind of typical 
not knowing what's going on and, and learning every day what what you're doing which is one way to learn and uh, maybe a bit too hectic <laughs> for the city of Amersfoort but but at the time it it was appropriate and and it it was a really good learning and you know we did some fun cool apps so we we ended up running a, a an app development agency with some white labeling tools that we built ourselves and it was fun and then about a year and a half in we got to a stage of making a decision of do we want to take this further and take on a lot of risk from investors and or debt we decided that we weren't comfortable with that and so we decided to to call it a day call it even before calling it a loss call it quits call it quits yeah playing <laughs> it safe but it was a really really good journey uh, it sounds like an interesting itch to scratch to start with but then you 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 went in a different direction went to halo mm -hmm. as a data analyst so working in product analytics so Obviously, all good product managers should be, to some extent, data-driven or data-informed. But what, what made you specifically switch up and, and decide that you wanted to spend a stint actually analyzing product data rather than driving that vision or taking your foundership experience on in that way? So uh, when I was looking for, for jobs in, uh, in London after university, I was looking at Halo and it was really exciting. And I was like, yeah, it was an exciting app. I mean, this was 2011 when Uber was not a known thing in the UK. So we need to, to think about that. And I was thinking when I was applying, I was like, hey, maybe I won't get my first job out of university or after startup ship to product management. But this is a really good in, as in going into product analytics. As I expected, I was working very closely with the product team at Halo. And obviously, um, other departments as well, feeding data and being the, the first data analyst, product analyst at the company, there were a lot of responsibilities that felt like product management, as in you had to gather requirements and understand what your end users wanted. So you could deliver that in a, in a reporting system, whatever that reporting system was. So it was a really good first step into a, a proper job, as they would say. <laughs> I think we'll speak for all analysts around the world when we say that was definitely a proper job. But did you or do you find that you use some of the approaches that you picked up then? Because, you know, you were you were pretty far into the data. You were very specifically looking at, at product usage and I guess trying to extract meaning from that and help the product team make decisions. Has that helped you in your your career after that? Like, Has that made you very data driven in your day to day product career to date? Yeah, in different roles, it helped in, in different ways, obviously. So things that were really interesting with Halo was running A-B tests and seeing how taxi drivers reacted to changes in the software or customers acted to changes in the software. And that level of A-B testing was really useful, both from when you do a small experiment. So when you're in a consultancy, when I was at a consultancy, it helped on a really small scale. And then in my previous job, uh, New Motion, when we were doing very large scale software for B2B, the fact that I know or the fact that I did work in data analysis and presenting data to uh, senior people in the company, which is basically what our clients, our B2B clients at uh, New Motion was looking for, these experiences connected to my work. So, yeah, it, it benefited me in different stages of my career for, for different things. 
And, you know, now where I'm working at Park Now, it's helping where I'm thinking oh, with this relatively new feature, what is the real analytics? Like, what is the, what is the KPI that we're going to follow for the rest of the year? It's the work that I'm currently doing in terms of helping a, a relatively new feature grow. Yeah, so I was going to ask, actually, and maybe you've got a good recent example, or maybe you, you can go back in time, but what's the best example you've got of a, of a good data-driven decision that you've made? I, I find the Halo examples like funny, maybe because it was nostalgic. When we did an experiment, once the taxi drivers were demanding to show cross streets, which means like two streets crossing each other so they know exactly where the customer is they need to pick up. And this was something they were asking for a very long time. And we were, uh, the product team and the tech team were quite skeptical of this. So we wanted to approach it in a very gentle way. So we decided to do an A-B test. And what we set up was to give a group of drivers this, to, to a small segment of drivers, we will give this feature, the rest we won't. And we will look at the acceptance rate, which means how often you accept a taxi ride. So a taxi driver accepts a customer from us. And we said, oh, we'll leave it for two weeks and then do a data analysis and then make a decision if we roll it out for the rest. And so we calmly rolled this A-B test out. And within two days, we realized that the acceptance rate dropped so much. It was such a drastic thing. We needed to immediately switch back and, and say, ah, we tried. It didn't work out. And yeah, that's, that was like a very now, I guess, that it's quite a few years ago, I think a funny situation, but I think, yeah, that's one story. And then more recently at New Motion, when we were launching this B2B software, it was far more qualitative data analysis that was really important because with B2B, first of all, you don't have, or we didn't at the time have that many users. Yeah, you don't have the volume, right? It's exactly. And so the value of having that phone call or video call with the customer is so important where we were we were testing out one feature actually on dashboarding to ask these customers like hey what do you think of this dashboard and then in these interviews they were saying oh, this is this is fine i'm going to tell my like i'm going to tell my other colleague about this so they can do something about it and that was a really interesting lesson that we saw that there is this term that we coined as delegation, like we call the delegation within the application. So in the B2B software, you see something and then you need to tell a colleague to do something about it because you might be a location manager, but you're not a technician, so you're not going to fix the problem. And that was really interesting from a, from a more qualitative research. And you've been working in the Netherlands for a few companies since then, but one thing that stuck out on your on your background was Accenture. Mm -hmm. So that's obviously more traditionally a, a consultancy firm. Is that what you were doing there? Were you working in kind of product consultancy and advising other companies or were you working on a specific product for Accenture? Yeah. So I joined Accenture by joining a subsidiary of Accenture, a, a very small agency called Mobgen that were acquired by Accenture and therefore... So when I was there for several years, we were looking, we were working as a product agency that Accenture wanted to buy to get the business. And yeah, so as you explained, 
it was like a product consultancy. So we would build apps and websites for different types of customers. Mobgen really specialized in, which I guess was really attractive for Accenture, is they had a really big design team and a really talented design team, which I was very lucky to work with and to learn a lot from. And what we were doing there is, let's say a customer would come to us and say, I, I want an app for this. We would really focus on saying like, hey, thanks for coming. We really appreciate your business. But is the thing that you came and asked for us the right thing that you need for your users? And then for my department, it was that delicate balance of saying, we're listening to what the business that has come to us wants, but with the great design team, go and speak to customers, go and do research and bring back this research, whether it's data driven or like interview driven to say, Hey, this is what your, this is what your customers, the people who are paying for your business really want. And there were many different tools that we use. One of them is design sprints, which was something that I learned during my time at, at, at Accenture and Mobgen, which is a really cool tool to learn and use as part of your many tools for product discovery. So that's how, that's how business worked in the product department in a consultancy. Yeah, that's interesting, the whole concept of not really being embedded for a long time with a company or you know, being effectively part of their long-term vision because I guess you're kind of in and out, kind of fixed term or something like that, I guess. Yeah. Which has, <laughs> I guess, some attractions because you can work on loads of different things. But did you feel that that really limited your, for want of a better word, sort of long-term planning? Did like, did you feel as engaged with these people as, as you could have done? Or do you feel that the reason that you moved on maybe was to go and work for something that you could actually own and be a part of? It was definitely a challenge, right? So you would sometimes, like, I'd have a great relationship with the client. We'd work together for a couple of months. And then at the end of those couple of months, we say like, here's an MVP, here's the result of the MVP, here's what we recommend for you to do in the next six months to a year. And then the client would take the work, be really interested and say, hey, I need to go and check my budget, who's the person who's in charge of the budget isn't the person that you've worked with for the last three months. And then due to budgeting reasons, something might fall off, or due to budgeting reasons, something might be delayed. And then there's there's this frustration of like, oh, I've got this energy around this. Yeah, you've got nowhere to, nowhere to put it. Yeah. We worked on really cool projects at, at Mobgen Accenture, but sometimes they they fell off because of, of this challenge. Um, but something that I was very, like something that I wanted to do for myself in order to have that consistency and longevity is to try and build, to work on building internal products for for Accenture, for, for Mobgen and that was one of the things that I did and, and built over a year or so, maybe a year and a half maybe, which was a internal tool called, we, we called it Enso, and it was a tool to help other colleagues run design sprints or ideation workshops, which was at least at the time where a couple, like three, four years ago, a really big thing that Accenture would sell to clients. So the client would come to Accenture and say, hey, I've got this problem. Accenture would sell the opportunity of doing ideation workshops with them. And the idea behind the app was, hey, you've got a couple of hundred, a couple of thousand across the, the globe colleagues that are trying to do the same thing. Why don't you have this internal app that you can learn from each other, have out-of-the-box workshop templates that you can edit to your needs? We got some internal budget for that. Uh, after making a very, very bad prototype. <laughs> and 
yeah, it was it was a really great experience and and it satisfied that that need of having consistency in a product. Excellent. That sounds really uh really interesting. Do you know if they're still using that these days or Again, uh, I learned that for budgeting reasons, <laughs> it stopped. So basically, you just make loads of stuff that's far too expensive for people <laughs> to maintain is the lesson that I'm getting from that. Maybe. So you called out design sprints specifically, uh, both before this call and just now. Mm-hmm. So I've read the books, I've, you know, I've seen the webinars, and, and it all looks fantastic, and I'm completely on board with the concept. But in my personal experience, and also the experience of others that I've spoken to, there's this kind of feeling that it's really difficult to get that time. So, you know, a classic design sprint, we're looking at five days. I know that there's talk of maybe compressing it into three or something like that. I remember once running a workshop where I could barely get people to sit still for half a day before they all wanted to go and do other stuff. Now, obviously, that's that's not the fault of the design sprint per se, but given your experience, do you do you think it's possible to reliably get that time out of the relevant stakeholders to actually get a design sprint done properly? Or is it always a case of trying to take the best aspects of it and and compressing that into the time that you have i was nodding away as you were talking and i realized we're on a podcast so (laughs) and what i'd say to that is the timing aspect of it is definitely a challenge and therefore if you are a person in charge of product discovery that's something that you need to consider whether it's worth the time and effort to invest and then because so going first of all tackling the timing issue i think so what we with Accenture, when I started to learn this stuff, the client would be specifically, we would have to sell it to the client and then the client would have to specifically commit. And what we would do is um, in the design sprint structure, you have this person called the decision maker. And that's the real, the individual, most of the time, an individual really calling the shots. And they're probably the person with the busiest calendar, like the, their work time is the most uh, precious. So how we would do that in Accenture or with clients is to say, okay, we need the decision maker at this point in the design sprint and at that point in the design sprint. So you book them at an hour or two at the time for not all the five days, two or, two or three out of the five days to really have their sign off. So when you finish the work of the design sprint, they're not totally surprised. There's nothing new to them and they can say, okay, I get what you got it. I get the prototype. I get your conclusions and recommendations. I want to move forward or not, or here's my opinions. Um, so that's one thing to, to consider where as when you have, for example, CEOs or CMOs that have busy calendars and probably can't give you five days, consider how to fit around their calendars for decision-making points, which is in the design sprint structure. It definitely include them. And then the other thing is when together with other colleagues that w- we were really keen on bringing this to new motion that again is a product based company lots of people have lots of meetings it would be almost like our job would be to play with people's calendars that we needed at in the workshop to say hey john i need you to to be available for this 5 days or for this 3 days i'm going to book your calendar so no one else can can take your time and there's also by doing this, you need we needed to sell upwards. So before starting this, you need you, there was the the pitch of the value of a design sprint to the CEO, CPO, uh, CTO to be like we need this time from the team to invest. And the time that 
we can build a prototype in five days rather than several weeks because there's not that distraction. And the prototype will be like, it's not an argument about the quality. It's just like you get all the information in, in, a, in a short time. So the, the worthwhile of investment and what happened was we did one, which was relatively broken up in, in emotion, but then the results were so compelling, getting that next one would be easier. So instead of breaking it up over three weeks, you can break it up really over a week because you have that buy-in. So maybe the first, like what I'm trying to say is if you're in a consultancy, you can, when you're negotiating with your client, you can get that buy-in before they sign. And if you're a product-based company, pitch it, do something smaller, and then show the good results to make it easier to, to sell. That's around the timing stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it a go. <laughs> I mean, you know, oh, that's the other thing I wanted to say. Like you, what you said, Jason, about splitting it up, there is, there's value to, to uh, obviously design sprints were built by taking a lot of design thinking tools, putting them in a workshop of five days. But then because of my learning that I learned about the five days first, I've now taken the different tools that are in the design sprint and applied to an hour workshop or an hour and a half workshop, which, you know, it's just a mix and match uh, of things that you like and things that you don't. So, yeah, things to learn always. Absolutely. And always varying it around the, uh, the scenarios that you find yourself in. Speaking of which, you called out specifically on, I think, your LinkedIn page, large corporation product success. Now, large corporations are not very often seen as the torch bearers of being agile, product-focused companies with empowered teams. And that's with it, even without when you consider the things like scaled agile frameworks and stuff like that and all the horrors that they bring. Do you think it's possible for a large company to be successful at product or will they always be at a disadvantage organizationally? So what I, when the article specifically was talking about my experience at Numotion where it's a relatively large company that has a medium-sized product team. And what I was focusing on is like, at how, so how product was split up at Emotion is slightly different where each PO was responsible for a single product. So I was in charge of B2B, there'll be someone in charge of B2C, but we'd all have shared backend systems or shared front-end tools that, that we would use for our different products. And what I was focusing on that article is around like, communication between the product team. So when you're when you're a startup, you might have one to three product people doing all the stuff, whatever the job title is, product owner or product manager. And then as you grow and you become more mature, so you can become already like already at six, there's already that uh, six people, there's already that challenge of like how do we keep connected even though we have our individual day-to-day -day work. And what I find really important in, in product success, and we were working to introduce a, a new motion, and there's quite a lot of it already at Park now is this like regular check-ins just to be like, Hey, what's going on? How are you doing? And then more standardized way of work, try and standardize your way of working, which doesn't mean like everyone works from the same Excel sheet, but let's say I want to do a workshop. My other colleagues have done workshops before. Here's some templates of how to do a workshop or I'm brand new to the company. How do I like, obviously what I've seen is every company writes user stories slightly differently. What is the ways of writing a user story in this company? Here's a template, go run away and write some user stories. And by having, from getting this like very small steps right, getting, getting those small steps right, 
will help you get the medium steps right of, oh, you're using this API from a third party. I'd like to use it too. How did you do that? And then you talk from a product perspective. And of course, there's the technical perspective where you introduce your technical analyst or solution architect to that conversation. But by having the product team talk to each other regularly, easily align with each other, then the product team and therefore the product of the company can can scale better. That's yeah, what I believe. And it's always a challenge, you know, so it's, there's never the perfect, here we go, we've got it right the first time. But by having that baseline, you can build on top of it uh, and make it more likely to succeed. Have you ever had to go scale with Agile or any of those frameworks or have you always managed to keep it simple? So right now, right now in my new job at Park Now, we are using Safe, which is a, a scale Agile framework. <laughs> but this, <laughs> you know, I think maybe I'm too optimistic, but <laughs> like what I've from from working as startups which have absolute like no structure and chaos and we say we do scrum but we don't really do scrum we do some weird kanban to accenture where the the team was really good at keeping to scrum or kanban like the team would decide and then they would stick to it you know i think i and i believe other product people can adapt to say like you know we're working at this system i'll get my user stories ready in time so the person that cares about when the user stories already is happy and with the scrum team it's always like it's always about people relationship so if you have a good relationship with your scrum team then things will be all right in the end well i wish you uh, good fortune in the wars ahead so also in your time you co-founded a startup magazine mm-hmm. led the product function there and 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 then eventually exited uh, that startup so, but that still seems to be going today. So, is that something that you just had your fun with and then decided that it wasn't for you, or are you still involved, or, or how, how did that come about? Yeah, I, I started it oh, 2013, I think, and I was really interested in doing something. I mean, I wanted to do something with startups. I had this blog that was gaining traction about my experiences in startups, such as Halo and one I did at university. So, I was like, hey, maybe I can do this thing and a little bit blindly thought this could work and um what we were doing is obviously we had the website it's still going the new owners are running it i i'm not involved with it at all but yeah it's good and what we were doing specifically in london that made us the most money was really events which is not product even though we were i was like looking at the website looking at options to do um, news apps and releasing with that. And we had some success with that. But the real money-making thing was events where we would sell to, we would organize events at big corporates. Uh, and that that was good. But I decided to to close it when I decided to, to move to the Netherlands. So because the business, like the way that we made money was so local, really, unfortunately, was was a good reasoning for me to say, okay, I'm moving country. I'm going to part ways with the company and uh, the new owners are doing good, I think, I believe. Excellent. Well, we'll see if we can get a chat with them as well. <laughs> um, but you've exited two startups now. So is there still time? Have you still got time on your side to start another? Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'll call the first one an exit, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, it, the, the, the startup exited itself, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. 
I guess so. Um, I don't know. I think I don't have the, the itch, though I'm never going to say no. You don't know what's going to happen in the future, but it's not something on, on top of my mind. As you said at the beautiful introduction, I started a <laughs> bunch of hobbies that would keep me distracted from, from doing any startups. That's fine. As long as you've got something to keep you busy. Yeah. I mean, maybe you can start a podcast as well. <laughs> so where can people find you if they would like to have a chat with you about product after this or maybe try and work out how to set up a design sprint? LinkedIn is pretty open and on Medium. So I'm at Fabio Medium. And uh, on LinkedIn, I'm Yoav Fabi, or one word. I'll dig it out, put it in the links, and wait for the crowds to rush towards you. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. No worries. Well, that's been a fantastic chat. Thanks for spending the time and, and taking me through some of your experience. It's been really interesting uh, catching up. We'll obviously stay in touch, but for now, thanks for taking the time. Thanks very much for having me, Jason. I really appreciate it. As ever, thanks for listening. I hope you found the interview informative, interesting, and inspiring. If you did, there's more where that came from. And again, I can only encourage you to head over to onenightinproduct.com for more or find us on the podcast app of your choice, subscribe, and never miss an episode again. I'll be back soon with another inspiring guest, but as for now, thank you and good night. <laughs>